Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. We need as much money as we can. This is the Press Box. The age difference on this show. With Grady and Bischoff. I'm glad you're the one that went in on the details of how Viagra works. Oh, come on, I'm feral. Here we go on a Monday. We're all back together. The gang's back. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. We'll be back together for 24 hours unless Golden Knights lose, and then we won't see each other again for another week. It is how it is. Yeah. Back. Jared, what do you think? The first bite. (laughs) Sorry, I just read it. Is this series over? Well, to make everything calm and cool and collected in our lives, probably not. They'll uh, probably uh, do what they shouldn't tonight and lose and be back in the plane tomorrow. So I'll just take the pessimistic view. But I think the series is over. I don't know about tonight. You're very worried about having to go back to Minnesota. I love Minnesota. To get back on a plane 48 hours later after being in Minnesota, I'm not sure I want (laughs) it. The Jimmy John's was that bad? (laughs) No, it was good. They should have just left you there. <laughs> in Jimmy John's? Yeah, just stay. <laughs> I could have just been in the parking just stay lot. Stay in the Jimmy John's in Minnesota. I could have just been in the parking lot in Minnesota. <laughs> hey, man, you, you could be in a Zoom call anywhere. <laughs> that's true. So they're up 3-1 in the series. Normally, that's a good thing for teams to go up 3-1 in a series. For the Golden Knights, though, they have done that four times in their short history, playoff history, gone up 3-1. Twice they've ended it in five games, but twice they've had to go to a game seven. Vancouver did it to them last year. The Golden Knights won. And obviously San Jose did it to them and won in game seven a few years ago. What's what's interesting to me is if you go back and look at some of those series, the Golden Knights in four games in this series have scored 12 goals. Three per game is solid, but nothing great. But if you go back to the Vancouver series, they had 15 goals in the first four games of that series and then scored one goal in games five and game six against men or against Vancouver before getting to game seven and against the sharks. They had 19 goals in the first four games. And then in five and six, they scored a total of three goals. So we've seen this team have a commanding lead in a series, have a three, one series lead while they're scoring goals, while they're doing a good job of producing, and then all of a sudden have a two or three game stretch where they just stop scoring completely, where they just fail to score. And all of a sudden they're sitting at a game seven. So it should be over, but I would have told you that when they went up three, one on San Jose two years ago. And I would have told you that last year against Vancouver and both of those ended up in seven and they ended up losing one of them. Yeah. Um, Another secret we're not breaking. I think tonight they're going to have 11,000 plus, right? So it's going to be the largest crowd since the whole pandemic hit. Uh, and like we were talking before the show, I think as it usually happens in when you're up 3-1 in a series, to me it's far more about the other team. Like if they're – are they done? You know, is it over? I mean, you know, you're going to see pretty – I think you'll get like a really good push in the wild for like five or six minutes. But if the Golden Knights score and go up 1-0 and that crowd gets into it, that might be it. So – uh, I'd watch the Wild for the first several minutes. I don't think the Golden Knights have anything to do with it because they're up 3-1. Um, I think the way Fleury's playing, and I, I'm not sure the Wild, like you were saying, I can't, look, I'm not going to remember the you know the offensive firepower of everyone they've lost 3-1 leads to, but obviously the Wild isn't this offensive powerful team where if the Golden Knights get up 2-0 tonight, it's almost like 3-0 against the Wild. Like So I'll just watch the Wild for the first six or seven minutes, and if they're into it and they, if they could score, which 
against Flurry. I don't know if they're going to score again, but if they can mm-hmm. get a goal and kind of get more life into them, uh, maybe the Golden Knights start thinking a little, especially those guys who've been on those teams that have lost those leads. I mean, DeBoer likes to say, like any coach, like, you know, they don't think about those things. They're all human. Of course, they think about those things. Like when he said, you know, when they went to Minnesota, it was media driven. It's something coaches always feel they need to have to say, but they absolutely know they had never won there in regulation. Of course, they know that. Yeah. They, they're on the team. They know that kind of stuff. It's not to say they're ever going to admit it because they probably shouldn't um, as pro athletes. They, they're not going to put that out there. But I think tonight, I think we should, I think we could know really early because I think if they get up, I don't know if the Wild have enough push anymore. Then it's like, uh, and that crowd gets going. I think it's easy for Minnesota to look at this and say, we can come back and win because this series, there have not been that many periods where the golden Knights have truly outplayed Minnesota. Like they did in the first period of game one. And then they did in uh, periods two and three of game three. But outside of that, the golden Knights haven't like really been like a dominating force in this series. Hell, Last game, the the Minnesota Wild had more shots, more chances, more expected goals. Like they, the the Wild were fine in last game. They just couldn't score, and they gave up what eighteen shots on goal for the Golden Knights in that game. Like that's nothing. Like you give up eighteen shots in a game, you should probably win the damn game. So if you're the Minnesota Wild, I don't think it's all that difficult to convince yourself, hey, we're we're in this series. It's three one, and you got to win three in a row, and that's going to be difficult to do. But I don't think it's all that difficult to convince yourself, hey, you're in this series. Like, it's not like the Golden Knights are out here dominating this series to get to this 3-1 lead. The the Golden Knights have been good, but they haven't been dominant over Minnesota. They haven't played them off the ice like they kind of were doing with Vancouver a couple or last year. So I think if you're Minnesota, maybe if you're down 2-0 after five minutes, you're you're like, oh, this is done for. But other than that, like... They got to get one on him. I mean, it's been over a hundred minutes now, and so I do think that creeps into your mind as well because their goalie has been pretty good too, and yet you can't score on the other guy. And you know, I mean, that has to start weighing on you. Like I said, it, that you and I talked about this last week. I mean, I when I was there last week for eight thousand, I give that whether it's the arena, whether it's the crowd, whatever. Like I give a lot of credit to that. Like last week, eight thousand, I was telling Dave from the paper, I'm like, man. This kind of seems like there's 20. I mean, it, it's so loud in there. So now you're going to add 3,000 plus more. If you're the wild and you get down, like you said, 2 0, they're not a team, obviously, that you want. It's not like a chasing team where, like, oh, yeah, you score two in a blink. I just think it's really important. I, it's important for both sides. That's a stupid statement. It's important, I think, for the Knights to score, get that crowd into it, and just put a sense of disbelief. And I think it's important for Wild. Like you said, if they go up 1 0 and they can finally score against Flurry. I think they're in it tonight. I mean, I think that gives them enough push to like, all right, we can score in this guy. Yeah, that's been the biggest difference in the series. They just can't that, score. Is on that Mark Andre Fleury has been yeah. phenomenal? Uh, the let's see, the Minnesota expected goals are ten point three in four games. They've scored four times. Yeah, I mean, so Fleury, yeah, Fleury's been six goals better than expected <laughs> I mean, through four games. Like you're you're winning so almost stupid. every series that your yeah. goalie is that good. It's it it's very similar to last year, the Golden Knights against Thatcher Demko. When it was just like, yeah, you can't beat Thatcher right. Demko, except nobody knew who the hell Thatcher Demko was until that series. So it's very similar to that, where it feels like, yeah, you're just you're not going to score on this guy. This is weird because you are you not in, are you saying that Leonard should not start tonight? He should not. Yeah, probably, probably not. not. <laughs> well, you got a three-one lead. No. Twelve a game. 
throw them a game. Oh, man. You want to see 11,000 people riot? <laughs> you want to see 11,000 masks come off? Do you know how great it All be at if, once? If DeBoer started Leonard tonight? Instead of the hats for the hat trick, it'll be pregame and 11,000 masks would be thrown on the ice because they saw Leonard leading the team out. Do you know how great that would be? Be great. It'd be great optics. It'd be great optics if eleven thousand masks were thrown on the on the ice. I'll have to look. This might be like Flurry's best single playoff series ever. Yeah. And if you started Leonard, that'd be. Yeah. I. I don't know if the real life said I'm with you. I you don't know. It's a weird. You you say it all the time. It's a weird sport. Who knows what's gonna happen? You know, they get a bounce. They go up early. Uh, Minnesota. They start getting. You know, again, like you said, they start believing. Wait a minute. We should have been up anyway. We're playing just as well in a lot of spots. Um, But it'll be interesting. Eleven thousand people in that place is loud. Now, I don't know. There were four thousand plus in XL Energy Center, and I'm telling you, I don't know what it sounded like on TV. It sounded like. It just did not have, and I know 4,000 is not 8,000, but, man, the difference between, as we see these people bring fans back between T-Mobile and other places, like, it's just, it's un- unbelievable the difference in in in, in uh, sound. It'll be loud tonight. Oh, yeah. It'll, I yeah. mean, it's you won't crazy. Even, you won't even know no. that it's not full. No, uh, no, yeah. you won't. No. DeBoer will ever lose. I don't know. <laughs> I just Gruden, Gruden always pops in my head. Okay, here's I got I got numbers for you. You'll you'll enjoy this. Um, so John Gruden in his entire career. So first trip with the Raiders, Tampa Bay, and now second uh, stint with the Raiders. He has won 35 of 101 oh. challenges. I looked this up. I thought it was like 37 percent. Yeah. Yeah. 35 of 101. But since his return to the Raiders, so this last three years, right. he's only six of twenty-two, right. which is twenty-seven percent. He went through. I looked it up last night after Lawless said that, and I tweeted what Lawless said in between periods as he kind of leaned out and said, "Has John Gruden ever won a challenge?" I said, "Ah, eh, it's pretty good. I don't know. I'll look it up." Um, I love the stat where nine straight years he was only Tony Dungy was worse, and I didn't remember Tony Dungy being horrible at challenges, although I didn't watch <laughs> his team every week. So I'm like, oh, that's weird. Tony Dungy was really bad at challenges. And then, you know, when they had Manning, I mean, they're actually, they had good teams, so that surprised me. But Gruden was just, it's just brutal. Yeah. I mean, for that nine-year stretch, it's like those numbers, like, man. And he haven't, I'll give this for Gruden. I found a quote. I do, and it might have been, it's definitely since he returned to the Raiders. There's a recent quote where he said, well, I think I'm like, oh, of the last 27. So I think he understands he's really bad at it. Like, he's not out there saying, well, I win these challenges all the time. But, yeah, he uh, – let's just let's just give Pete DeBoer a little more credit for, I guess, the challenges. Well, Pete DeBoer in the regular season, the two regular seasons he's coached the Golden Knights in, is only three of ten. Oof. No, it only matters in the playoffs. <laughs> I think the only thing that matters is the playoffs. And he's two for two. And he's two for two this year. Also, Gerard Gallant, 12 of 36 in his Golden Knights career, challenging calls. Man. So, coaches, challenging calls, not usually great here. Like, you're not winning many of those. You're lucky to be over 30%. I wonder how many, uh, I wonder in the NHL, how many challenges there are a night. I mean, there's really two things you're challenging, right? You're challenging goalie interference and offside. Yeah. I don't know what else you would be challenging. Yeah. So I don't think you, I mean, you challenging it? I think it's the only two things there, you What other things you can yeah. challenge? Those are the only two things. So, I don't know. I didn't know. That surprises me because... I watched home and away. I was at most of Gerard, Gerard Glant's tenure. I don't even remember him challenging that much. That's a lot of times. Yeah, I think there were there were a lot of times he would just challenge for goalie interference because because when Gallant was the head coach, if you lost a challenge, there was the no PK. penalty. Yeah, you didn't go on the kill. Now, if you lose a challenge, yeah. you got to yeah. kill off a two-minute penalty. Yeah. So when Gallant did it, 
you could just challenge any goal Doesn't for matter. goalie interference. Right. A guy a guy breathed on Flurry. I oh, would challenge. If there's it. a guy within a foot, yeah. I challenge it. If if I didn't get penalized. Yeah, we might we might win it on accident. But now you got to be pretty sure. Which is, I'm still I'm surprised DeBoer challenged that goalie interference. Well, because uh, that's my was... next. That was my next question to you. So we're sitting there, and I you know. I really trust Ben. Ben played the sport, and I, he's looking at it. Ben Goats and I like, what do you think? He goes, he goes, if you're absolutely going letter of the law, like you're absolutely going, you know, in the crease, in the blue, all that. But he goes, it's really hard. It was hard for him to determine if Flurry came forward. And he goes, but they're going to say the letter of law. That doesn't matter. Like Ben's like, I wouldn't take it off the board. He goes, that's really the, it is not blatantly goalie interference. So when they took it off, he's like, he kind of cringed. Like, well, I goes, I goes, that that surprises it's, me. I mean, letter of the law, it. Was technically goalie yeah, interference. Yes. The problem, though, is they don't always call that. Like that was the most minimal goaltender interference you'll you could have. probably ever see. Right. But they don't always call that. They will often let that exact goal stand, and that was sort of the issue. As if you read the rule book, you'd say, "No, he's in yes, the blue. He's in. That he's is in goaltender there. Yes. interference. He's in there." But like we we see stuff that's worse than that yeah. end up standing as goals. So that was part of it. Where it's like. Eh, I don't know if you're winning that one because it's not. It's not like the guy ran into Flurry. It was, he was not just in any way like in obvious. His way. Yeah. yeah, it was not in so any I way. So I was surprised I was DeBoer too. challenged it because again, if you lose it in that scenario, they would have been tied one-one, and they're going on the power and play and killing a penalty. Now, granted, the Golden Knights penalty kill has been right. very good, so and maybe, that's maybe a reason he also yeah. challenged it. But it's it's. I was surprised because it wasn't obvious, and if you lose it, all of yeah. a sudden you're having to kill off a penalty. And I know it didn't mean anything, but I thought I know it didn't mean anything again because uh, Felino's in the crease, but. I sort of saw kind of flurry come up on him. Oh, he did. I'm like it was like one of those things. Like it's not but like he again, backed into flurry and and like flurry like flew back. But letter of the law, flurry is allowed True. to he's skate a, into he's him a in the to, crease. That's his crease. That's but his crease. They don't often call. I that. just like, thought, they never call that. It's weird. Like on one sense, like no, no, no. It's the playoffs. You know, they're not calling anything. They're not calling anything. Okay, <laughs> if that's the case, that's fine. I have no problem with that. Whatever. It's the playoffs. I mean, I think it's silly. Like in the NBA, don't call something the last two minutes you did in the first. I get that. But when they called that, and you just keep hearing it's the playoffs, like, oh, that was. I mean, like, like I said, there are some guys that breast rocks who like uh, kind of cringe. So that's a tough one to take yeah, off. It is. That's a tough one. All right, coming up next, how much trouble are the Lakers in after losing Game One? Ten thousand, eleven thousand. There's no way. I think we're counting like the Republicans. It felt like thirty thousand people in the stands. They are amazing. So let's keep it going. Uh, it's so nice to have that at home. You know, we got down early in the second quarter and beginning of the third, and, and they never wavered. That, that gives the team energy. I don't think people understand how important that is. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. Overestimating crowd size is not the only thing they have in common. They also lost. Um, so we'll get more well, into the Clippers Republicans. Yeah, yeah, you thought there were more people than there actually. I'm sure, were. that wasn't Steve. Uh, yeah. oh, good. <laughs> so, we'll get more into the Clippers and Mavericks uh, in the front page. But the Suns beat the Lakers yesterday. The Suns were the only home team in the Western Conference to win over yeah. the weekend, uh, which I think most people would have guessed would be the other way around, and they would have been the only home team to lose in the West. So the Lake or Lakers lose game one. Anthony Davis isn't any good, scores 13 points, 5 of 16 shooting. How much trouble do you think they're actually in to get out of this series now? I don't think they're in any trouble. I And I was at, I wondering this last night coming home. I didn't get to see it. Um, 
uh, I was on the plane, but I was watching. I, I was thinking when I saw the score that I didn't even blink that they lost because I just think the win. And I want to ask you this: Are we too? Are we too caught up in the assumption that just because it's LeBron, they're going to win the series? Like that's I, I didn't even think like oh they lost game one, they win the series. Like other series, like we'll talk to Jameson, we'll talk to you like at Clippers. I'm like well you know I mean they're you lose at home and the Clippers and Luke and all this stuff. And so every other series, I kind of justified maybe not Memphis, Utah, but the Lakers, I like didn't even blink. I'm like oh they win the series. It's okay, so they didn't really play much together in the regular season when you yeah look I at, saw like the combined starters before the game I'm like they barely it was start like five games. or six yeah, times the ridiculous. guys the Lakers start so like they they didn't play much together in the regular season so we haven't really seen this Lakers lineup this Lakers roster do much because they didn't get that chance and now we've seen them play two playoff games granted they did beat the Warriors but they didn't look great in the first half beating the Warriors and then they didn't look good yesterday either so. I'm with you, though. I think the Lakers are going to win, but it's not because of anything we've seen this team do. It's because of the past. It's because of what LeBron LeBron James is and Anthony Davis, even though he was terrible in game run. It's because of what those two players are. It's not because we've seen them play well really recently at all. It's because of what they've done in the past. So I like if I if you didn't know who LeBron James was, who Anthony Davis was, and you watch these two playoff games. You'd be like, oh, oh, this team's in trouble. They're not actually going to be. I, th- I think they're going to lose a series to Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. but but we, we know I also LeBron think, James and is. now I th- I'll tell you, I think they're going to play the. Uh, I think they're to play in um, Brooklyn in the final. <laughs> but I, you know, I just I don't. It's like it's stupid, but it's like I don't. I'm looking at all these other teams in the West. I'm like, could they? It's one thing. Like, look, it's um. Someone's talking to correlate here in hockey, like of the Golden Knights and Colorado. The Golden Knights can beat them. I'm like, well. Can they beat them four times? Like it's like, can you beat LeBron four times? Like there's certain teams. Like really, can you beat those guys four times? Like Phoenix won last night. That's fine. Their crowd was. I heard. I again. I'm just hearing things and reading on Twitter about what the crowd was like, and I, they were totally amped up. I could totally see that. But now you get into the series. <laughs> you know. I mean, now I don't won't be surprised if Lakers win Game Two and then you know they win it in six. Is it a series until a team wins one well, on the road? That's the key. It's not, Jared. It's not a series until a home team loses a game, which means every other series in the West is now, a, now series. a series. It's now a series. Utah now a has series. a series. Yes. Um, on the Sun side of this, Devin Booker at 34 points, 13 of 26 shooting. Uh, he is an incredibly fun player to watch. Um, he's very good, obviously. If the Suns actually win this series, does Devin Booker like become superstar in the NBA? Like, does he become household name in the NBA? Because we haven't... The the most notable thing the Suns have done since Devin Booker's been there is they went eight and zero in the bubble last year before the the playoffs actually started. But if yeah, you mean more like because I think people who follow the NBA know he's incredible. Like more like mainstream, do you think? Yes, yeah, like, it might become more mainstream to people who casually follow it. If you follow it, you know how good he is. But yeah, to the people who might just watch in the playoffs or are watching now because they want to watch LeBron and haven't seen a lot of Devin Booker's games, like. <laughs> That guy's really good. Yeah, I think he could, if, especially if they won the series. There's someone out there just going, "Who's this bum for yeah. the Suns?" Yeah. You'd get, but there'd be people who watch just because LeBron. Who I don't know how many Phoenix Suns games they watch. You know, I mean, I could, so the right. mainstream fan, especially if, if he wins the series, you'll definitely have people right like that. because it's like the NBA. There, there's a lot of star power in the NBA to the point where, like the play-in games, you got to see Bradley Beal or Lamelo Ball, but like those guys aren't 
winning you NBA titles, right? But there's a lot of like star players in the NBA that are like that. I mean, how many over the last three days, how many people the last five days are like that? John Morant guy's pretty good. I mean, you <laughs> but, know what I mean? Like yeah. guys like that. But what we do in the NBA is you, you have to have like a playoff moment for people to start being like, oh, that guy's a star. And like right. the, the best examples I can think of are Damian Lillard and Paul George. Mm-hmm. Paul George, mm-hmm. over the course of their careers, is a better player than Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. But Paul George has a reputation of being awful in the playoffs. Saw it the other day. And Damian Lillard has a reputation of drilling big shots and specifically over Paul George. Right. So, like, that's the best example to me where Damian Lillard is a household name because of what he's done in the playoffs, even though he's never actually won anything. And I think Devin Booker can get to that same level. I agree. Especially if they beat. I think even if this, like, goes seven and Devin Booker, like, he had a big game yeah. one if he hits, like, a game winner in game five or something. If it goes seven and he plays really well, you're still going to come away like, that guy's really good. Yeah. Now, the Lakers will advance if they win and, and you'll be back to LeBron, but you'll take notice of him, whereas maybe before people who didn't follow them, the league that closely didn't really know who yeah. he was. I just think he's he's got, I think, the biggest chance. Chance and maybe Trey Young after last night might be there too, but he's got the biggest chance to me to sort of, you know, explode <laughs> into, hey, this guy's really good. We need to start talking about Devin Booker as one of the top, whatever, 10 players in the NBA, whatever number you want to put on that. John Morant, literally, if you look at his Google analytics, like his name being searched on Google, it is a flat line. <laughs> and it's that. just yep. a huge yep. spike. Yeah, yep. that it is a flat line. Okay. He went to Murray State. Like, that's, I, uh, that's, that's, that's what happened. Yes. I'm. I've got to be honest. I didn't. Uh, I mean, it's hard sometimes when they come out of college. But uh, I didn't. Th- I didn't. Th- I, Devin Booker shocks me. He's this good. Oh yeah. I was it's... like. I mean, you know, where he played, and I, I get all that. He was going to be good, but I was like, man, like, I didn't think he was going to be this good. Right. It's. I mean, there there are a lot of guys that come out of college and are like solid. They're good players, players. Yeah. But he is. He's, oh, he's a phenomenal basketball player. And it. You know, it took them getting Chris Paul and having a good team put there for them to actually do anything. But. He's unbelievable. How this guy was awful yesterday. Did, like when it comes to the Lakers, do they need Kuzma to be good at all? He's a very weird player to me. I mean, some nights you're like, man, Kyle Kuzma can't miss, and then he'll go nights and complete. Now maybe if LeBron and AD are playing well, it doesn't matter. But you see his score box score from the other yesterday, like that guy does no, did nothing. Yeah, I don't think it matters so much if it's Kuzma. They just need somebody other than the two. Yeah. And, and they need Anthony Davis to not be terrible as well. But like, whether that's Dennis Schroeder or Kyle Kuzma, or I don't think it'll ever be Andre Drummond, but I guess it could be Andre Drummond. He probably shouldn't even be playing because the Lakers seem better when Anthony Davis is their center than when Andre Drummond is. So I don't think it matters if it's Kyle Kuzma specifically, like it could be Contavious Caldwell Pope. They just from game to game, they 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 need somebody to have a good game. That's not named LeBron James. Or Anthony Davis. Otherwise, you're counting on those two right. guys, which sometimes might sometimes be enough, is fine. Not to necessarily win seven or four out of seven four times in the NBA. All right, coming up next, Sam Gordon joins the show. First time the Aces have had the shot clock under five. See what happens here. Gray has it at three, at two. Chelsea stops, fires from three. She's got another one. Chelsea Gray, ring it up, baby. Welcome to Las Vegas, and the Aces lead by 29. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Sam Gordon. Sam, how are you this morning? Sammy! Doing good, fellas. How you guys doing? We are good. Yeah, we're awake. Um, did you? <laughs> well, Ed's awake. <laughs> I'm good. I don't know if Ed's good. I'm good, though. Um, 
Well, actually, before we get into the Aces, uh, how much playoff NBA basketball did you get to watch? Uh, quite a bit. Um, I watched uh, almost all of Milwaukee, Miami. Uh, I saw a good, uh, almost all of the Laker games. So I, I, quite, I mean, I saw the games I needed to see. I thought the, the most compelling matchups. Okay, good. You saw the Lakers game. How much trouble do you think they're actually in after game one? Uh, I'm not concerned. I think, I mean, Phoenix was a good team. Um, we knew that. Uh, and it was their first, I mean, it's their first home playoff game in what, 12, 12 years, 11 years, something like that. So I think all things considered that the Lakers were egregious offensively. Uh, couldn't make a basket, couldn't make an open three. And, and Phoenix played, I thought, um, you know, obviously the Chris Paul injury played a huge factor, but I thought Phoenix played like a B plus, A minus game. And the Lakers still had their opportunities. So, uh, you know, LeBron's teams lose game one quite a bit. He's, he's spoken on the record in the past about how he likes to feel things out. And I expect a lot more uh, physicality from that front line in game two. And, uh, and we'll, see, we'll see how that things turn out. Now, if they go down 0-2, we're going to have a different conversation on Wednesday morning. But, but right now, I don't think it's a huge deal. Phoenix did what they're supposed to do. They protected home court in game one. And we'll see what Anthony Davis gives them in game two. If he gives them a, a typical Anthony Davis game, and LeBron, um, you know, does what he does. I, I think the Lakers are, are would be just fine. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's any. There might not be any team in recent NBA history, is certainly probably all time history, where people just assume Tyler and I were talking before you came on. Where that's okay, they'll just flip the switch just because of what we think of him as a player. I mean, that it, they only started that lineup started together like five or six times all year, which is weird. But none of that seems to matter with the Lakers, does it? It just seems like we're all like shrugging our shoulders, like yeah, they'll they'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, and that's you know part of that that, that championship pedigree when with with LeBron and AD and what those guys did last year, and I, you know, of course, it's a new team, right? Andre Drummond, I don't, I don't think he's the best fit there, just with the kind of um, his skill set. They don't necessarily need him. I think he's going to have his moments in the playoffs uh, if they make a deep run. Uh, if he, if he has to match up against you know Nikola Jokic or somebody like that, but um, the, the 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 core of this team has been together. They've done that, and you're right. They, they haven't had a ton of reps together this season and I think you kind of see how that plays out sometimes with some of these stagnant offensive possessions but with those guys you know even if LeBron's you know 75 or 80 percent in AD if he's healthy um, you just have to kind of trust in what they do and and uh, you know again want to give credit to Phoenix they played an excellent game Devin Booker uh, is a primetime player he's a big time player in this league and and, and I think for a nat- the you know, national audience is really going to see what he's capable of as a scorer and and uh, as a secondary playmaker and creator, he was awesome last night. But, but I, you know, the 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 LeBron and AD factor is just such a. I mean, like you said, they they, well, based on what they've done, their track record, they've been there, done that. You know, they. Yeah, I, I have to see them actually lose four games before I can believe it's it's going to definitively happen. So, um, it's it's a fun matchup, though. It's a good matchup. Phoenix has wings. They have you know DeAndre Aiden was tremendous uh, yesterday in his playoff debut. I think he was kind of the X factor. You don't. Expect him to go ten for eleven and out rebound um, Davis, get more offensive rebounds than Davis gets rebounds total. But I think the Lakers will be a little bit more physical um, in game two, and and if if they do lose on Tuesday again, we'll we'll have a different conversation. But but they've earned kind of that that trust and that respect that hey they're going to be okay, and and until until we see otherwise, that's that's how I feel as well. Who do you think is the bigger star, bigger household name after the playoffs, Trey Young or Devin Booker? Oof. Great question. Um, I'm going to go with Trey Young. I'm going to go with Trey Young. I think just with, with what he was able to do yesterday, I think having the opportunity to play the Knicks, 
um, his style of play, just kind of, he was very, very polarizing. I'm um, coming out of college, you know, is this going to translate? Is it not going to translate? Obviously, his game has translated very well. Uh, he's a tremendous passer. Uh, we, we know about the scoring. We know about the offensive ability. And, and this is his opportunity on a, on a national stage. I think, I think we've, we've known a little bit more about Devin Booker um, the last couple of years, at least out here on the West Coast, because of, of, of his scoring prowess and what he's been able to do. But the Hawks have been so bad that they're just never on national TV. I mean, the, the, the only conversation we have about Trey Young, or it seems like the, the main conversation about Trey Young that we have is he's not Luka Doncic, and that's okay. He doesn't need to be Luka Doncic. Like, he's still a very, very good player. And the way he was able to execute in the fourth quarter and the shots he was able to make in the fourth quarter um, yesterday against the Knicks, I mean, he's, he's ready for the stage. He's ready for the spotlight. And, uh, and he did it at the Garden. And you guys know there ain't nothing like doing it at the Garden in the playoffs. And, you know, he was able to do that. But, but both of these guys are, are young stars um, in the making. And, and this, these are great opportunities, great showcase opportunities for a national audience to learn more about their game and what they bring to the table. Uh, so we're, what, four into the season with the Aces. Uh, uh, lose yesterday to Connecticut, the two in Seattle we saw this week, and blow out L.A. So take us through four games now. Um, their favorites going in, along with Seattle, to win the league. But what have you seen, good and bad, here through four games? Yeah, I mean, I think the good is, is kind of what we knew is, the you know, the, the talent. They, I mean, Asia Wilson's the reigning MVP, and she picked up right where she left off, you know, in the first three games anyways, um, doing what she does, you know, scoring. Um, she, I think she's a much better defender than she was when she came into the league. Uh, Liz Cambage has made her presence felt with, with her size and what she's able to do on the block. And then I think the addition of Chelsea Gray is such a game changer. And uh, it's going to take time. It's going to take time to build chemistry. She's, uh, you know, a very different kind of player than anybody the Aces have had. You know, kind of a, a, a throwback, more traditional point guard that can get to her spots, uh, run pick and rolls, a three-level score, can shoot off the dribble, can shoot off the catch, can play on off the ball. And, uh, and they're just a tremendous passer, just really, really um, uncanny court vision who can, you know, kind of player that can see plays before they develop, before they happen. And we've seen flashes uh, in that second Seattle game and, and then in the home opener on Friday night against Los Angeles Sparks, what she can do. Where she's at, at the top of her game, she's making everybody better. She's making the whole thing go. She can get out and transition and push. She gives them a dynamic decision maker. And she really unlocks an, an aspect of their offense that they didn't have because um, they didn't really have a, you know, a true dynamic pick-and-roll kind of ball handler. So I think she's going to be huge um, in what this team wants to, to, to do moving forward. Now, now with that said, uh, the, the chemistry at times has been a little clunky, and, and I think you saw that yesterday against Connecticut where, where you get a team uh, that has the size and the length to match up with the Aces, and they really, the Aces really, really struggled offensively uh, to, to get quality looks, to get into the paint, to get, uh, to get open catch-and-shoot opportunities, to make things happen. So um, it's, it's going to be a work in progress, and, and Bill Lambeer keeps repeating that over and over and over, and I think there's something to that. You look at the lineup they had, the starting lineup they had, in the WNBA Finals last year against the Storm, um, Asia Wilson's the only returning player from that lineup. So it's, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of new faces that they have to integrate, even if they're not new-new. You know, Liz Cambage didn't play last year, so this team goes to the Finals and then basically, you know, kind of doesn't gut the roster. But, but, but there's a lot of turnover. I, I think Jackie Young, um, in year three, is a much better player, just a much more assertive, confident player, knows her strengths and weaknesses, knows the kind of shots she needs to be taking, knows what spots to get to, and, and has really, really improved as a defender. I think she's a, a, a menace defensively on the wing now. She was all over the floor uh, against the Sparks on Friday in the home opener and very, very good um, yesterday against the Suns. So I think 
when things get get rolling, and it's going to take some time, but I think when things get rolling, they're going to be one of the best defensive teams in the league. And then offensively, um, the, the, the talent on on talent alone, they're going to be able to manufacture points and, and, and score. But but by the end of the season, uh, once they get their once they get a lot of reps during the regular season, I think that's what the regular season is about. Just kind of finding chemistry because as you guys know there are championship expectations here internally externally it's going to take time for that offense to look optimal and they've had their moments you know the second seattle game and then against the sparks on friday and then they've had their moments where it's been clunky like in the opener and then yesterday so it's going to take some time but the talent is there um we know that and once once they have reps once they they're able to kind of click and get familiar with one another i think they can be really dynamic on both ends of the floor beyond the actual players and their chemistry how much is it going to be on bill lambeer with chelsea gray to just put more ball screens in the offense for i think that's that, that's huge and, and, and he's acknowledged that he's got to get a little bit more familiar with their game and that they're going to implement different sets and and different ball screen actions for her to do what she does and you know she's, she's had her opportunity to run pick and rolls but um but there's i think there's a lot more that they can do with that a lot a, a lot more a lot more kinds of actions to get, you know, whether that's getting her downhill, whether that's freeing up shooters in the corner, or, or just, you know, whether that's that's getting uh, Asia Wilson or Liz, Liz Cambage or Dierica Hamby involved as rollers. She's she's so dynamic as a as a as a playmaker, as a point guard with her size, with her strength, with her court vision. Um, there's really nothing she can't do offensively, and we've already kind of seen that manifest itself. Um, it's just about, like you said, get, you know, finding the optimal way to use her to maximize her skill set, not only in a way to get her going but in a way to get everybody else going. And we've seen flashes of that. Uh, but, but that is, you know, you know how these games, these, these close playoff games are where, 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 where things get tight. That's where a player like Chelsea Gray, who can create her own offense from the perimeter and run ball screens and get quality looks out of ball screens, that's where she comes into play. So um, he, he definitely needs to, you know, he, know, he knows that he's about putting some sets in there to, to get her going. We've seen flashes, and I think we're going to see more and more of that throughout the course of the season. Um, as the, the, the team, as, as Lambeer and as the team familiarize themselves with, with what she does. I mean, she missed most of training camp, um, but, you know, playing abroad, concluding, concluding her season overseas. So still relatively new. I mean, they haven't had a ton of practices with her in the lineup. So once they, they really figure out how to maximize what she does, and like, what, like you said, once Lambeer puts some more ball screen actions in there for her, uh, I think she's really going really gonna to make her mark on this team as both a scorer and, of course, as a facilitator with, with her core vision. We've already seen some of, some of her passes, just nasty dimes, you know, that lasers, cross-court lasers, pocket passes on, on pick and rolls. She's awesome in transition. So um, she's, she's an incredibly dynamic player. and Like I said, gives them a, di- a dynamic and a dimension that they didn't have in, in previous years. So Kelsey Plum has advanced to what what happened there in terms of three on three. They won it, right? Uh, they won like the like the first part of the tournament. I think there's there's still the, the full kind of Olympic qualifier, so she's still going to be out um, another another week or so, another week and a half. Okay. But uh, w- w- they, they, I think they definitely they definitely missed her presence. Um, you know, last night uh, against the Suns or, or yesterday afternoon against the Suns, um, just for her shooting w- with her, she's another ball handler. And gives them somebody that can can help stretch the floor and can get into the paint, and that was really the issue yesterday. But but once she comes back, um, you know, she she'll she'll find her groove, she'll find her fit. And that's another you know another another player that wasn't around last year, obviously with the Achilles injury. So they're going to have to figure out a way to work her back in the lineup. But at this stage of her career, you know, 26, going to be 27 by the time the playoffs hit. She knows who she is as a player. 
again, just like just like Chelsea or just like Jackie Young, she knows her strengths and weaknesses. She knows how to fit in with this group, and I, I think having her come off the bench is going to give the Aces a little bit more scoring punch off the bench outside of the Erica Hamby and give her the opportunity to handle the ball a little bit more, um, like she like she did in college and, and like she's doing with three on three now. So um, definitely expect you know her to her and the, the the Americans to qualify for the Olympics, and, and I think that's going to be good for her as well. Just getting this experience on an international stage, not like she hasn't had it. You know, she played with the World Cup team a few years back, but but really being. Um, featured on this three-on-three team, I think, is, is a great opportunity for her and um, a great opportunity to build some confidence going back in the WNBA season when she rejoins the team um, here uh, in the next couple weeks. Well, he is Sam Gordon from the Review Journal. Sam, as always, we appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Sam. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, fellas. Anytime. Talk soon. Uh, I look forward to Kelsey Plum coming back from three-on-three and being like, that was way more fun. I at least got to shoot on that what, team. I was going to say, what if she comes back from three on three and takes like 14 threes and should, looks, looks over Lambert and said, Hey, it worked. Hey, it got me to the Olympics, That's man. Right. You just want me to beat the sparks. What so, is this? This isn't anything. This I'm in the Olympics. So they they won some three on three tournament that wasn't qualified. I didn't understand. Cause they had their USA jerseys on. So like, is this the qualifier? No, they, that they just played a tournament just to play. Yeah. I, ah. And I assume it's like, Hey, we have, we've never done three on three before. So let's see what let's it looks like. Do something. Qualifying starts. This week okay. or, or relatively soon, right. and then presumably they'll qualify. I mean, they won't the think they'll qualify. Presumably yeah. they'll qualify, and then she'd have to miss more time if go they the do to go to the Olympics. Yeah. And yeah, you'll be watching Kelsey Plum playing for a gold medal while the Aces are playing. Oh, I just hope she wins a gold medal, comes back and says, Look, Lambeer, I'm taking every <laughs> shot I want because I just won a gold medal. Just wears it during practice. Wait yes, a minute. Exactly. Does Lambeer have a gold medal? Was he ever on a U.S. No, medal? that's no. I was about to say. I, no. I just oh. looked it up. Yeah, just like I've got a gold medal. Oh, that's it. You have, oh, coach, you don't. That's right. So I'm just going to take this shot. He'd have, I'm trying to think, he'd have players or on the national team. I'm trying to think of their roster. Was Asia Wilson on a? I, I, I'm well. The one the Olympics last last year were canceled. I'm trying to think. Yeah, who no, was I on don't think Asia Wilson. Team. What if she was still in college? The so last he might time. not have anyone on there. No, that, I'm saying does he? Bill no, Lambert I don't think he does. He I'm saying I'm asking about his yeah. players. No, I don't. Uh, Liz Cambage would have played Australia's like best player, yeah. but like I like Kelsey Plum. If they win gold, needs to come back from the Olympics wearing that into practice, <laughs> like Jared said, just like showing it to Bill Lambert, being like, "Where's yours?" Oh, you don't have one? That's uh, too bad. I did, will shoot did, as much as I want. Did you play when the dream team existed? <laughs> Couldn't have you just showed up and gotten a gold medal? That's what she needs to do, and it'll be phenomenal. All right, coming up next, are you ready for the World Cup every two years? Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. <laughs> You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. So Jared said right before we came on that that was Philadelphia fans because they gave the best sound. I have no idea what that was. They were screaming, bleep you, Westbrook. Bleep you, okay. Westbrook. I can't play bleep you, but. You did anyway. No, well, I can play bleep you. I can't play the fun part. Yeah. Okay. So. A fun soccer it's, it, story. It's a, it's a similar thing you might hear at the World Cup. Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, so, fun story is that FIFA is considering holding the World Cup every two years. 
They are don't have enough money. They are launching a feasibility study to see how easily this could be done. I imagine that feasibility study could just be one page and it just says money on the page <laughs> because they would make a lot of money by having more World Cups. Um, so would you want to see two World Cups every or a World Cup every two years? Excuse me. I'm not sure it would matter to me. I mean, I, I love the fact every four years. I mean, I guess it would. I guess it would be cool for the Americans. They'd have a better chance to actually get in one of these years uh, in terms of advancing past the group stage, uh, or one just qualifying next time, and then getting past the groups. I don't know. I mean, you love soccer. I mean, does it does it lessen the importance or kind of the mystique of winning the World Cup if you start doing it every two instead of four? This is the first I mean, time that I ever felt old because my first thought was, ooh, I don't want it every two years. And then I thought about it. And I was like, why don't I want it every two why don't, years? I, I don't know. I don't have a good I answer. I don't know. The only answer is because we've it's always been every four years. Right. So I no. So you don't think it would lessen like Brazil wins it this year and in two years you already have Germany winning it. I mean, you, that doesn't lessen the like, mystique of it. Two years is a long time. Like we like two years is a long time. Well, the Olympics are different because they go winter, summer. So you yeah. always have something in two years, but it's not the same. It's not the same sports. But yeah, two years is a long time. We won't know any difference. The only thing that that it would lessen would be like individual awards, individual like he scored the most goals in the World Cup because if you start playing every two years, guys get to play in twice as many right. World Cups. They get to play as, in as, twice as many. Right. right. So you so that's the only thing it would lessen would be looking sort of historically at hey you know in you know if they if they go to every two years. 20 years from now, some guy's going to break the record for World Cup goals. You're like, well, okay, yeah, the guys who played before 2026 right. never, like, they had to play every four years. And now you get You know who really two. wants it every two years? Messi. Well, yeah. He's like, I need as many chances as possible so the countrymen can love me as much as they did Maradona. Did they love Maradona? Apparently he got well, murdered. I, well, seven people didn't. I take that back. There are seven people in the history of that country who did not like Diego Maradona. And it was the seven people he didn't need not liking him. <laughs> I my first thought was, is there enough? T- is that enough time to put the infrastructure in? Because I mean, FIFA literally requires their own court system. You have to like reinstitute still, alcohol still... sales. <laughs> like, this. Yeah, you can still give it to them ten years in advance. It's not like you got to give it to them. Well, but how much? I mean, like, how do you get all the slave labor into your country in order to build the stadiums? You just, you just award it ten oh, years okay. ahead of time. It's not going to change that. You just award it ten years earlier. It's it's just you know you got to do it twice I'm just as often. That there's going to be that many more dead, you know, workers. Well, it's, I don't know if it's going to be going back to Qatar anytime soon. So ah, no, it's going to be great. Yeah. Could be at Allegiant. Could be. <laughs> just hold the whole thing there. Yeah. But which and. Just roll that extra field out the back, and we'll have people playing on that. The funniest part of this, though, is that we had the European Super League, and fans in Europe went nuts, lose their minds. Yeah, right. The protest outside of stadiums. Some fans even stormed into stadiums, like demanding that people be fired. People actually did end up resigning from certain teams, and the main criticism. Well, one of the two main criticisms was greed and that the people running European soccer or running these teams in European soccer were greedy and that soccer wasn't supposed to be about greed. And yet here we are, what, a month later and FIFA's exploring, hey, should we hold the World Cup every two years? And the only reason for FIFA to hold the World Cup every two years is to make more money.
Like, well, yeah, there is no reason for that. The reason any sports do anything. It's just funny to me that fans got so upset about the Super League for it being teams being greedy. But that is every single thing that happens in European soccer and all sports is teams and owners are greedy. They want to make more money. I'd like to know uh, in Europe and some of these countries where, let's be honest, it's much more important there, the World Cup, than it is here, what they think about it. Like, whether it's Germany or Brazil, like, what the, the, would they really want this to happen every two years? Yeah, people are old and hate change, so they'd probably say they no. They say no. Leave it every four.